All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to gather here in your name and hear your word. We thank you that we um, can um, open your word and hear your will and even hear your, your diagnostics for our lives and see to the heart of sometimes the sin that impacts all of us. And we pray that we would have humble and willing hearts ready to hear, ready to hear your word and ready to be changed by it. I pray um, that, uh, that your precious people here in this room would grow in sanctification through the work of your word this evening. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I thought she was going to the bathroom. I was like, that is ironic, isn't it? Um, no. I remember the moment like it was yesterday. It wasn't yesterday, of course. Um, it was probably around the time that I entered my uh, ninth grade in high school, I believe. I was in high school by that time. My, my entire youth group at this point, the entire youth group, was, was all participating in this summer uh, drama that uh, they were all doing it. And since the entire youth group consisted of me and my best friend Micah, I mean, I had to join him. So I, I also went with him and uh, entered this play thinking it would be fun, thinking I would enjoy it. It was one of those one-week productions where you, I don't know if they do that here, but they, on Monday you come in and they cast the whole thing. And then uh, Tuesday through Thursday, you rehearse the thing over and over again. And then on Friday night, on Saturday afternoon, you perform the thing for your parents and your grandparents and all the people you um, want to see this thing. And, and the play this year uh, was a production of Cinderella or a loose spinoff of Cinderella. Matter of fact, it was, it was very loose. Um, it was Cinderella in the 1950s lip sync edition. So um, instead of the ball, there was this lip sync competition where people came from far and wide to uh, lip sync to songs. Uh, and it was really stupid. But it was a fun play. It was meant to be kind of a joke, meant to kind of get younger people involved in theater. And, and it was a lot of fun. Well, I'll tell you, my, this, was my first, this was my first ever moment in theater. And I had since, since then, I've done many, many plays. But this was it. This was the first moment, the first theater production I've ever been in in my life. And my discomfort began to rise the instant I entered the theater. Because I saw all of these other kids from town, all there. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to read lines in front of all of these people? And then it, and it even got worse because I looked over across the room, and there she was. She was just entering her senior year of high school. She was going to be the homecoming queen that year, so she was, like, beautiful and popular. And I was a little boy, and I had maybe a little crush on her. But I was like, oh, no, she's in this production, too? I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I could do this. My, and my anxiety only rose more and more as the day went on. And then finally, by the end of Monday, the end of that Monday, they began to start casting the roles. And, and you know, I was kind of hoping, okay, David, it's okay. You'll probably get cast for something you're really good at, like a tree or something or a rock. <laughs> maybe, maybe a role that has no lines. You can just be just like doing this. <laughs> but as the, the parts began to be dished out, soon it, it dawned on me. They have now given away all the non-speaking roles. And now they've, they've given away also all of the roles with a little bit of lines. Oh boy. Now they are in the major roles of this play. And my fear just shot through the roof when I realized that I had been cast to be the Prince Charming himself. 
my first time in theater, and I have to do lip syncing. I have to. I have to remember lines. I. I, I have to do. I have to do like this dance in the middle, and then at the very end, I have to dance with Cinderella, who just so happened to be Mrs. Homecoming Queen herself. And then it got even worse. You'd think that day was bad enough. Then I had to suffer through Tuesday, uh, Tuesday through Thursday of rehearsing every single day this play. Every single day, I had to practice lip syncing. Every single day, I had to practice all my lines about how much I loved Cinderella to her face. And every single day, I had to practice the big dance number with Cinderella that lasted for an eternity. And on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough, then I had to go home and endure the ridicule that was my dining room table and my older brother, who is just cracking up about this situation. Ninth grader and a senior in high school. I remember the first night of the performance, I was so embarrassed. And, and that during, during that, I think during that, that, that performance, I like messed up all of my lines. Uh, it was terrible. And for the final dance scene, you know what I did the whole time? We're standing here. We're dancing, you know. That not, nothing that, that, that a ninth grader can't do. Just, just doing the sway. That's all we're doing. And, and she's right there, and I'm right here, and I just can't even look at her with my family all looking at me. So what, what do I do? I'm like this the whole time. <laughs> so embarrassing but the only thing that was probably more embarrassing now that I think about it now that I think about it was probably the experience that everyone had in the in the seats watching how embarrassed I was by this just nonsense going on the stage well it's called many things it's sometimes called being shy oh she's just shy it's sometimes called being an introverted. That's just the way he is. He's, he's introverted in personality. Some people, for some people, it's a condition that they like to attach to themselves. I have social phobia. I have social anxiety, right? Uh, sometimes it is in performance situations. Oh, no, I have to do this. I have to be in this play, or I have to read my homework out loud in front of a class, or I have to do all sorts of things, performance. Or, or sometimes it's just any social situation, great anxiety comes with this. There's, there's common fears with this, 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 whatever you want to call it, shyness, introvertedness, social anxiety, however you want to call it. Some common fears are attending events with a lot of people. Um, interacting perhaps with uh, clerks at the checkout line, uh, working uh, while other people are watching or, or writing while other people are watching you write. I'm not saying I associate with that one, but yes, I associate with that one. Um, using a public restroom, talking to new, I got this offline, uh, talking to new people on the phone, entering a room where everyone else is already seated, making eye contact with people you don't know, uh, saying no to a high-pressured salesman like Jeremy. Can't do it. Uh, uh, being at the center of attention, um, interacting with an authority figure, or, ex- or perhaps expressing disagreement with someone else. That causes great anxiety on, on a spectrum. I mean, maybe, maybe if you're like me and you read that list, you're like, do I have a condition? Is this me? I mean, I would say, believe it or not, I, I have in my life 
experienced lots of anxiety. So I'm not here speaking to you today saying, I've never suffered with this at all. Get over it. Here's some, word, here's some words from the Lord and just be, be better. I'm saying, yeah, to a certain degree, I feel like all of us have some sort of anxiety, some sort of social situation anxiety, particularly in new situations, unless we're incredibly extroverted. But I would also be cautious. I would be very cautious in, in wanting to assign myself or have you assign yourself with some sort of label. You don't want to walk around for the rest of your life with a condition. I don't believe that a Christian should think that way about themselves. We're growing. And through the grace and the resources and the power of Christ, we won't be the same people we were in middle school. That can happen to you. You can be very anxious early on and change by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a real situation, and I'm not diminishing at all. And sometimes people, especially people that struggle with this, might have creeping thoughts about themselves in these social situations. Like, for example, man, everyone here is probably looking at me. They enter a room and they say, everybody must be judging me right now. Everybody must be criticizing me right now. Or, or maybe uh, they say, man, I am so uninteresting. I am so boring. I can't believe I wore this shirt today. Isaac O'Weiler wore the same shirt today. How embarrassing. Everyone's probably judging me. Everybody's thinking how an idiot I am for wearing that shirt. Why did I pick out these pants today? You go into a room and you're thinking about all of the ways that you must be terrible. That is anxiety. And there's various ways of coping, I suppose, too. And I read this online this week as well. Some people take medications like antidepressants or anxiety medications. Some people try to cope by forgetting about it, by drinking alcohol or by taking drugs, anything to take the edge off. But probably the more common uh, method of, of dealing with anxiety is just to avoid any situations that make you anxious. I'm anxious about that social interaction. I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to say I'm sick. Something like that. You stay home, you watch TV, you play video games, anything to avoid going there. And that feels good. It seems to work in the moment. It does provide temporary relief, but you, you know how it goes. It actually makes your anxiety worse, right? When you stay away from schoolwork, your schoolwork just piles up. When you... Don't go to an event. All you can think about the whole time that you're home not going to that event is, oh, now everybody is probably thinking about how I am not there right now. That, that is the anxiety and how it stacks up. Tonight I want to kind of tackle this issue, and I want to kind of just talk about it in three different ways. First off, generally, I want to just do a brief overview of what the Bible has to say about of this idea of social anxiety or what we're going to see tonight isolationism, being, in, uh, being kind of a loner. And then I want to um, talk about um, this issue you know, diagnostically. I want to think about the, how, how the, the Bible describes the, the heart, the motivation of the heart in all of this. And then finally, I want to talk about this practically. Is there a way to grow? Now, I've already laid my cards on the table suggesting to you that I think you can grow. You might not be an, all, uh, an ultimate extrovert who is just the life of the party, but I am not convinced that is what the Lord Jesus wants you to, to do. But you can grow and you can change and you can begin to live a life that is honoring to Christ. But first off, before I even get to my last point, let's get to our first two first. So number one, let's talk about isolation generally. Let's talk about being a loner generally. Generally speaking, 
isolation, loners, um, are outside of God's will. Ultimately, when God sees someone that is alone, he says that is not good. And you guys know the story, probably from Genesis 2.18, where God says that to Adam. He says, this is not good for this man to be alone. It's not good, that's what the Lord says. And, and I want to point something out to you, maybe that you haven't thought about before. Did you know that God says that about Adam before the fall? What does that mean? It means that humanity was created and, and, and perfect in their creation in need of others. Even you on your best day, your Eden day, you need people in your life. You were made to be dependent. You were made to need people, to need fellowship. Matter of fact, the active pursuit of Christ honoring fellowship is the active posture of humility in your heart. You're saying, I was made to need others, and I'm going to go to them out of humility under my Creator God. You may not be a people person like someone else, but you were made to be dependent on others, and you were made to be with other people. Just to be clear, though, just being in a crowd does not make you, uh, does not make you surrounded by people. Just being in a crowd does not mean you are actually pursuing God's will of fellowship for your life. We know this because Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many friends can still come to ruin, can still get himself broken. You, you can be in a crowd and completely alone, have no deep, strong, real, rich friendships with anyone. And to be also clear, true relationships that honor Christ aren't just any friendship. It's not just any friendship in your life. There are lots of different kinds of friendships. We've talked about this again and again. There are good kinds of friends and then there are bad kind of friends. Not all friends are God's will for your life. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the friend of fools will suffer harm. Are you friends with people on track for having wisdom in their life? Are you friends with people that have a fear of God in their life? Because Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you friends with people who are wise? Because you will become like your friends. You will become like them. Why are Christ-honoring relationships so valuable? Uh, Why is being a loner so foolish? Well, who are you without them? Who are you without Christ-honoring friends? Let me give you a list. This is who you are without Christ-honoring friends in your life. You will be easily defeated by tough times. You will be easily defeated by tough times. Proverbs 17.17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. But without a friend, you will be alone in tough times, and easily defeated, easily discouraged in those tough times. But if you have a friend... You will endure tough times. 
You'll, you'll experience no strengthening wounds in your life. You'll have no wounds that make you stronger in your life. It says in Proverbs 27, 6, without friends, all you'll get is, is kisses from an enemy. Or, or like it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A good friend will speak frankly with you in love and kindness, but truthfully with you. Hey, listen, you're not that funny. You shouldn't be in the talent show. Hey, listen, you can't sing. You shouldn't do that. You're going to embarrass yourself. A true friend tells you the truth. A true tr- a friend is frank with you, but without a friend, you will not experience those strengthening wounds in your life. Or how about this? If you don't have a friend, you'll stay the same way you are. And maybe to some of you, that sounds like a great idea. But once again, God did not, God's will for your life is not that you stay the same way and not, not that you never change. Once again, Proverbs 13, 20, uh, the friend of the wise man becomes wise. But if you're, if you're, if you have no wise men for friends, you will stay the way you are and actually, sin will cause you to plummet. You're not going one way, you will go the other way. Now perhaps some of you are, are thinking in the back of your head, what are you talking about? i got lots of good friends. But I'm not necessarily growing. And I'm pretty defeated in tough times. Let me just suggest to you, in love and kindness and grace, that maybe your friends aren't that great. Uh, friends help you endure tough times. But they help you endure tough times, not just by leaving you the way you are, but by helping you, strengthening you, maybe even rebuking you in love at times. Did you ever think that maybe you're thinking about a situation wrong there, friend? And they actually help you endure tough times. When do we see isolation in Scripture? Well, mainly when you look at someone who is alone, sin is somewhere, somehow in the context. Something is wrong if someone is alone. Either you are in isolation because you want to sin, or you have been isolated by people who want to sin and don't want your presence in their life. That's usually what we see. For, for example, in Matthew 18 or 1 Timothy 1, we see church discipline talking about a judgment, the judgment of exclusion of someone from church fellowship. Why? Because they refuse to listen to people rebuking them, and they refuse to repent. There's sin in that context. That's why isolation is happening. That's not the, that's not the goal. That's not what we ultimately want. But that, that is what we, as a church, are called to do. Or how about in 1 Kings 19? You see Elijah, Elijah all alone at Mount Horeb. He, he, he reports to the Lord all alone after the, the greatness that he witnessed on on the mountain in Israel. But he says, I am alone in fear of you. Here he feels like he is the lone worshiper, the only worshiper left. Every other Israelite is worshiping Baal but me. Now, Elijah is alone. And he is alone because a lot of Israelites are forsaking Yahweh and turning to Baal worship. But it's interesting to note, Elijah is also alone because he's spending his time listening to his feelings and listening to his anxieties instead of listening to the Lord. He has not heard the word from Obadiah that he's already heard about that the Lord has already preserved a hundred. 
a hundred prophets in his name. And the Lord then reminds him, I have saved 7,000 in my name. Elijah has ignored the truth of God's word where God says, I will always, always preserve a remnant. There is never a time in this world where you have to be all alone. There are always people to encourage you. But notice Elijah's isolation seems to be based on his anxiety. Or how about Paul? Paul was deserted by people. Matter of fact, he reports in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, that many people deserted him. Many people left him when he was in prison in Rome. And once again, why did they do this? They did this because they loved the world. That's what he said about Demas. They have deserted me. But notice, Paul never stops speaking the truth about his situation. And Paul never stops pursuing people, even when people burn him. He still wants people with him. Luke alone is with me, he says. And he says to Timothy, well, he's writing this letter, do your best to come to me quickly. I need people. Now, doesn't that sound strange? The super apostle Paul needs people? Yes. Because he was made by God to need other people too. But people deserted him out of sin. One more thing could be said, one more important note, just generally speaking, about isolation. The Bible has a lot to say about fearfulness, too. And I think that's wrapped up in this idea of being afraid, of being isolated. The Bible recognizes, by the way, that fear is a real issue. The Bible even recognizes that fear is a real issue for God's people. For Christians, it gives specific instructions for how Christians should face anxiety. But the Bible also speaks most hopefully about the believer in their circumstances. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John 5, verse 2. 1 John 5, verse 2. John is writing to believers for their assurance And he says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And then notice in 1 John 5 verse 4, for everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the overcoming that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Notice, the believer overcomes the world. You are not bound by the burdens that unbelievers are bound by. You do not have to be chained to the dominion of anxiety that unbelievers are chained to. In fact, with the Spirit, you don't actually have to sin anymore. You will. 1 John 1 says that. But when you are walking in the Spirit, you are free from the flesh. That is the basic argument of Galatians Five, life in the spirit is hope, is hopefulness. I do not have to be anxious anymore. This is actually why Jesus can command you, command you to not be afraid. Why does Jesus command you in Matthew 6 to not be afraid? Because you have all of the resources of a loving heavenly father. You should not be afraid. He's not saying, please don't be afraid. He's saying, don't be afraid. 
because your heavenly father will care for you and your heavenly father gives you the Holy Spirit. The bottom line, social anxiety, isolation actually keeps you from the very God who gives you gifts to overcome such fear. That's just generally speaking about this. Let's, let's talk about isolation uh, diagnostically, and that's just a funny word to talk about how it all works on the inside, what's going on. Maybe you have strong opinions about this. Maybe um, you think, hey, I, I think I understand why I am so anxious about social interactions. I know me. I know my, my family history. I know all of that, and there's a reason why I am so anxious, your situation. Maybe your, your condition that you have. Maybe some person that's in that room. That may, be, that may be all the case, but I want to caution you in just thinking that way. What does the Bible say about your understanding? In Proverbs 3, verse 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Are you ready to listen to the Lord and trust in Him, trust in His resources? Or do you want to lean on your understanding what really feels true in this situation? You may have some good personal reasons for why you're afraid. But if I can be frank with you, if I can be honest with you, that should make you more exuberant than ever in the kind of God that you find in the good news of the gospel. Because the God that we find in the pages of scripture is a God for the anxious kind of person. He is full of thoughts and words towards fearful people. Go home and meditate. Think over Psalm 91. Go home and meditate and think over Matthew 6. You, if you are anxious, should rejoice in the God that you have in the pages of this book. But turn over, turn over to Proverbs 18. Turn over to Proverbs 18. And this is my passage for the night. Now that we're at 8 (laughs) o'clock. It'll be fast. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 1. It's only one verse. But here, the wisdom of God gives us an internal view of what the loner does and why they do what they do. What does it say here? Proverbs 18, verse 1. He who separates himself seeks what? He seeks his own desire. He breaks out in dispute against all sound wisdom. And verse 2 is similar. A fool does not delight in discernment, but only in revealing his own heart. Let me read that first half again. He who separates himself seeks his own desires. What, what does the person want who isolates themselves? They want their own desires. What does that mean? Well, when you read the whole verse, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. They don't want wisdom outside of their own head. They want what they want, and they don't want anybody else's wisdom in their life. That's why they isolate themselves. Now, this may be not exactly explaining every single anxious moment of our life, for sure. This is a certain kind of anxiousness. This is anxiousness towards people who might criticize you or you think are criticizing you. This is an attitude of someone who doesn't really want to change in their heart of hearts and they're worried that other people are going to think they should change. And did you even notice this? There is a feistiness, uh, 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 I'm going to put my dukes up kind of attitude in this heart. 
They get angry at anyone who challenges them. They, they break out quickly, which is a word that kind of refers to fighting a quarrel. They're quick to fight. That's probably why they separate, because they're angry at people that are around them. Matter of fact, maybe recall two weeks ago, Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, uh, anger, the angry person makes any offense a major offense. Remember that? And anybody who challenges uh, what's between their two ears must be separated from. Note that. They'll be quick. They'll be quick to take offense. And, and probably they'll be quick to call all of their friends and say, hey, this is what just happened. Are you with me? Right? Matter of fact, it says in Proverbs 17, 9, he who is, um, he was a transgressor, uh, he, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. They want to separate, and therefore they spread slander. Notice that. What is in the heart? Their own desire. They don't want anyone else's opinions. Now, just to clarify really quick, just to clarify really quick, this doesn't mean that everyone who speaks critically is right. It doesn't mean that. I'm not saying you should listen to everybody who has a critical word to say about you. A fool, you will recall, thinks they are wise in their own eyes. They'll tell you all sorts of opinions about yourself. But they're foolish. Matter of fact, the most dangerous people, perhaps, are the people have, who have lots of criticism for you, but don't want to follow it them. Self. But I'm just asking you, oh, what is your heart when anybody says anything towards you that is slightly corrective? What, what is your heart? Are you instantly defensive? Or do you instantly begin to remember all of their faults? Do you instantly begin to cut them off in your mind and say they're no longer my friend and you separate from them? Because that shows a heart that is actually not that humble. That shows a heart that wants their own desire. That shows a heart that is rather proud. And is that the heart of an isolator? I don't know. I'm just reading to you what the Bible says. Allow me to suggest this approach instead. When someone corrects you, it is hard, it is wrong, but here is what the humble heart does. They say, is there possibly an opportunity for me to grow for good because of this word against me? as imperfect as it was, is there perhaps an opportunity that I can use through this moment to humble myself before God, who is always right, and learn and grow from this moment? Or is it just a moment where you just want to separate? That is the difference between a humble heart and a proud heart, I would say. Well, we've looked at it generally. We've looked at it diagnostically. Let's, let's talk about isolation practically for just a moment. Isolation practically. As I mentioned in the intro a little bit, there are lots of ways you can deal with social anxiety. The easiest one, obviously, is to avoid a situation that you don't like. But listen to this. As I was reading this week, even secular, uh, even secular studies, uh, say that avoiding something actually is not good. It actually makes anxiety greater in the long run. Once again, you have more assignments. Once again, now you're just anxious about everybody thinking about you, how anxious you are, right? Actually, separating yourself just makes it worse and worse and worse. The, the least 
fearful route is actually to deal with criticism straight up. It's to deal with a problem as soon as it arrives. That's actually the least trouble you'll have. It'll be the easiest anxiety you'll experience. But we know that. We know that from God's Word. God's Word tells His people to press towards their troubles in faith in their God. God's Word says, your faith is shown much. Your your faith in God, you see who your God is most when you are in the presence of your enemies. That's when your faith shows up. That's when your view of God is seen. Honoring Christ often means you move towards people that you have a problem with rather than away. Honoring Christ often means you move towards conflict because you want reconciliation. If you were here for Saturday, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't, you should listen to this message on biblical reconciliation. You move towards other people because the heart of a Christian is to seek reconciliation. Christians also have resources that no other human on earth has. They have resources to not be bound by their fears. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given to us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's what God's given to us. Proverbs 29.25 says this, A trembling before men brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be set securely on high. If you are a believer, you have great resources in the fear of the Lord and in the the confidence, the peaceful spirit that is a result from such a faith in your God. There's a thought out there that you conquer anxiety through something else. You're just missing something else. You just need, because you have such low esteem, you must need the opposite. You, you must need high esteem. If you had high esteem, you'd be great. You'd be fixed. But just, just listen to this. Compare these fearful thoughts uh, with the, the mirror in in. High self-esteem. For example, let's say you're, you're struggling with thoughts when you first enter a room. I don't fit in, you say to yourself. Everyone can see how nervous I am. They probably can see me sweating. Maybe you say to yourself, I, I don't have anything to say. Maybe you say to yourself, I'm so ugly. Why did I pick this t-shirt? Maybe you're saying, I am so boring. I sound so stupid, maybe you say to yourself. Maybe you're saying, everyone probably doesn't like me right now. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm such a social misfit. Do you just need high self-esteem in that moment? Will that fix all of your problems? Well, listen to the person who has the exact opposite of those problems. Listen to what they say when they enter a room. I'm part of the in crowd, they say to themselves. They say, everyone can see how poised I am, right? They say, I am so wise. They say, I am so good looking. They say, I am the center of all of this. I must be a very fascinating person. They say, I sound so smart. I'm so sure of myself. They say to themselves, everyone must love me. They say to themselves, I am such a social leader. Does that sound like a Christian to you? Does that sound like a mature Christian adult? No. That sounds like someone with the exact same problem that the isolationist has. A proud heart. Right? 
True victory over social anxiety comes, now hear this, only through the gospel in your life. Every other religion in this world requires you to have performance that brings a judgment from God. But with Christianity, it's completely the opposite. Our standing before God leads us to free and joyful performance. We aren't performing to be accepted before God. We aren't anxious that God doesn't love me in this moment. No, out of the joy that we have in the gospel, we can go forward in joyful, free acts of love. Matter of fact, it says in 1 John 4, 19, we love, we love others. We love other people in the very room that we're in because he first loved us. And this leads us to really, I would say, the antidote. Love is what you really need. The reason you are isolating yourself from others is because of a lack of love in your heart. First John also says, love drives out fear. It's stronger than anxiety. And I'm not talking about a subjective, mushy-gushy, Hollywood kind of love. I'm talking about the kind of love that you have received from God in the gospel, a love that determined to do good towards even enemies. That's the kind of love that drives out fear. Let me give you an example. I have two examples, but for the sake of time, I'll just break them down to one. And if you want to talk to me about the other example, that's fine. The other example was small group, but let's just talk about an example from just this room in general. Let's say you enter here and, and you're thinking fearful thoughts to yourself. Everyone will think I'm an idiot. <laughs> Testimonial. I have thought that. Fearful thought to yourself. Everyone thinks I am stupid. What would happen if you entered that room with a totally different heart? I mean, it sounds weird, it sounds long, but just just listen to this. What would happen if you said, the purpose of this group isn't to glorify me or bring attention to me? Hallelujah. It's not to glorify me or to even bring attention to me. Uh, This group is actually to bring attention to my Christ whom I love. And this time in this group is actually an opportunity to enjoy someone other than me. And I can use this moment of time that I've been given in my life to seek to welcome others, know them, and do good for them. And I'm going to be intentional to love others in this time here. There's a difference. There's a difference between the way those two people enter this room. That is the same difference in the way you enter small group. Is it all about you or is it all about how can I love others? Now, I I don't want to be overly cruel and sensitive, kind of suggest that I don't know how you feel. Matter of fact, my, my last little thing to say is it may take small little steps. It may take small little steps of saying, today, I am going to make eye contact with everyone. Today, I'm going to ask them their names and try to remember their names tomorrow in prayer. Today, I'm going to seek to learn something about someone else that we have in common 
to build a relationship in the future. Today, today I'm going to just do small little things. It may seem silly to you, but that is, I think, how progress will be made. And you do that in belief in the power of the Holy Spirit that conquers your fear. But talk about some of those ideas in small group. <sighs> Lastly, it, when, I, when I think about that experience in that theater production, I, I have two takeaway thoughts. First off, I wasn't a Christian then. It wasn't a Christian production. Don't worry. It wasn't in one of those kinds of churches. But I have two thoughts. I have two thoughts when I think back on those days. And I was thinking about that even this afternoon as I was chuckling to myself about this totally embarrassing moment of my life. First off, I really genuinely feel like I missed an opportunity in my life. Now, now you might not be like me, but that play was a lot of fun. And I could have had a lot of fun in that production. I, I could have actually helped other people have a lot of fun by not caring about myself so much. Matter of fact, that's what I've noticed about plays. The more I don't care about myself, the more fun everybody else has. The more I care about myself, the less fun everybody else has. And I just feel like I missed an opportunity. But you know what I also think? When I think back on those days of that horrible, embarrassing moment, I am legitimately thankful for it. Because that moment taught me something, which taught me something else, which led me to something else. And for some reason, I stayed in plays. And I, I actually think being in theater actually made me who I am today. I'm not shy as much. By the grace of God, I am thankful for those moments. And I think you can find reasons to be thankful for moments that you're afraid of as well. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for uh, this moment that we have. And I pray that whatever is from your word that is true, you would cause to sink deeply into the hearts here. And help us to be strengthened and changed for your glory. Amen.